Nehemiah chapter 5. Then there arose a great cry of the people and their wives against their brothers of the Jews. For there were some who said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our houses. Let us get grain because of the famine. There were also some who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tribute, using our fields and our vineyards as collateral. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as their children. Behold, we bring our sons and our daughters into bondage to be servants, and some of our daughters have been brought into bondage. It is also not in our power to help it, because other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. Then I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, You exact ursery, every one of his brother. I held a great assembly against them. I said to them, We after our ability have redeemed our brothers, the Jews that were sold to the nations, and would you even sell your brothers? And should they be sold to us? Then they held their peace and found not a word to say. Also I said, The thing that you do is not good. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of the Lord? because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies. I likewise, my brothers and my servants, lend them money and grain. Please let us stop this ursery. Please restore to them, even today, their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves and their houses, also the hundredth part of the money and of the grain, the new wine and the oil that you are charging them. Then they said, we will restore them and will require nothing of them. We will do so even as you say. Then I called the priests and took an oath of them that they would do according to this promise. Also I shook out of my lap and said, So may God shake out of every man from his house and from his labour that doesn't perform this promise. Even may he be shaken out and emptied like this. All the assembly said, Amen, and praised Yahweh. The people did according to the promise. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year even to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, that is 12 years, I and my brothers have not eaten the bread of the governor, but the former governors who were before me were supported by the people and took bread and wine from them, plus 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants ruled over the people, but I didn't do so because of the fear of God. Yes, I also continued in my work of this wall. We didn't buy any land. All my servants were gathered there to the work. Moreover, there were at my table of the Jews and the rulers 150 men, in addition to those who came to us from among the nations that were around us. Now that which was prepared for one day was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowls were prepared for me, and once in ten days a store of all sorts of wine. Yet for all this I didn't demand the governor's pay, because the bondage was heavy on this people. Remember me, my God, for good all that I have done for this people. There's a few things to say about this chapter. Um, The first thing is that this whole chapter, in fact, all of Nehemiah is written in the first person. You notice how he, he says things like, so then I gathered together a great assembly. So it's written in a autobiographical uh, style. It's written in the first person. And that's actually not super common in the Bible. So I was thinking to myself, where else in the Bible do we find the first person language? And the example that I first thought of was in the book of Acts, 
you know, Luke, he wrote the book of Acts, but for some of the parts of the book of Acts, he's actually with Paul. So he says, you know, then we boarded this ship. So it becomes first person plural. And so it's interesting when you get the first person thing going on because you've got someone describing what actually happened. They were there. Now, Moses, he wrote the first five books of the Bible, but there's different, different things going on there. For example, Leviticus is first person, but it's what God says. So Moses is actually with the Lord and he writes down what the Lord says in person. And the Lord says things like, I am the Lord your God, be holy before me. So nearly, if, if the book of Leviticus was written with red letters, you know, like the words of the Lord, it would nearly all be red. Um, so that's interesting. And uh, <laughs> so um, this might not be comprehensive, but the book of Leviticus, parts of Nehemiah, because not the entire book, parts of Luke, the book of Ecclesiastes, which is, you know, Solomon, at the end of his life, he looked back and said, you know, I tried this and I tried that. Parts of Revelation, John says, I was in the spirit. And of course, parts of the epistles or lots of the epistles are in the first person because it's a letter. It's written from a person. <laughs> so there are definitely huge, big chunks of the Bible that are in first person, but the majority of the Bible isn't. And I just think it's very, very interesting when you see this autobiographical thing going on. In this particular chapter, there were a couple of uh, accusations made by Israelites against other Israelites. And they were saying that, you know, we had to borrow money, but we've been charged interest and we couldn't afford it. So now they've taken our children as slaves. And if you uh, go right back to um, Exodus chapter 22, I think it's Exodus 22, the Israelites were told that they could lend to each other, but not charge interest. So if you want to borrow money from me, I can give you $1,000 to get you over a bad patch this pay, but you know, you pay me back. If you can't pay me back in one go, you can pay me back in a few goes, but, and that's, that's just being a good neighbor, being a good Christian, being a good Israelite, but you know, not charging interest. They were allowed to charge interest to the other nations, but they weren't allowed to charge interest to each other. But here in this chapter, a famine has come along some of these people have given up working in their fields and vineyards to work on the wall. So they're struggling because they're not making as much of, out of the harvest as what they would have, but, but they borrowed money to pay their taxes and other things, but now they're being charged interest and there's a great cry. And so then Nehemiah comes along and says, well, I called an assembly. So there's that first person thing again. In the New Testament, um, the Corinthian church, there was a, a thing that happened with their communion celebrations that, you know, this story here in Nehemiah 5 reminded me of the Corinthians and their, the way they had communion. Because they would come to communion in the Corinthian church and it was a, a case of everyone bring your own food for communion. So, you know, in the modern, in modern times at church, communion has become symbolized. So if you go to a, a Catholic service, you know, for mass, the communion is a, is a, a wafer, a host and wine, but it's not a whole meal. If you come to our church, we use crackers and and we call it wine, but it's grape juice. Um, so it's symbolized. And there's really nowhere you go in church today where you actually eat a meal uh, for communion. But in the Corinthian church and in a lot of old churches, it was an actual meal like the Passover. So people would bring their own. And so what would happen is you'd have wealthy people in the Corinthian church would bring fabulous, fabulous food. And you'd have poor people that didn't have anything to bring 
So they would come to have communion, but some would sit there with no food while others would just live it up. And it's just just not right. <laughs> I just don't know how you could do it. If you had all this fantastic food, but you've, you, you see some other people in your church, you know, and not eating, wouldn't you just think you should share? Isn't that natural? Well, they didn't. And that was one of the reasons why Paul was so wild. And he said, I've got nothing good to say to you. Fair enough. Well, that's that. what's going on in Nehemiah 5 is you've got some people here working on the walls, but then they had to borrow money because their fields weren't doing so well. But then the people were lending the money. Those people who weren't working on the walls were lending them money and making even more money, and it just wasn't right. So Nehemiah comes in, sorts it all out, <laughs> and obviously it was a bigger problem than, than just the basics we get here in this chapter. There was a whole... There's a whole lot more going on to it, but Nehemiah is a fair governor and sorts it all out. And it says at the end here that he that he was appointed governor. He was a governor for 12 years. It says here that he didn't even take the wages that were appointed to the governor because he was mindful that there were people who were struggling. So he's a very, very thoughtful governor and highly exceptional and unusual for his time. And the chapter ends with this very, very interesting prayer. Nehemiah keeps going into prayer and going out of prayer in his biography. So he's writing away saying, this happened, this happened. And the next thing he's saying, remember me, O Lord. Now he's having a prayer. <laughs> and I really liked that prayer that he prayed because he said, remember me, O Lord, because of, because of what I have done. And he's basically saying to the Lord, you know, Lord, that I've done the right thing. Please repay me. Please reward me. And it reminded me of another person who prayed a remember me prayer. And it was the thief on the cross. So the thief on the cross had done nothing good. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So with these two prayers, these two remember me prayers, one was the thief on the cross who had done nothing good and he asked the Lord to remember him. And then we got Nehemiah here who did the right thing, was a good, good governor. And he said, Lord, remember me. And um, I thought, as I was contemplating these two remember me prayers, both of them with their very different circumstances, I thought, you know what? This is a type of prayer you can pray no matter your circumstance. If you've been someone that's walked with the Lord, you can say, Lord, you know how much I love you. Remember me. But if you're someone that hasn't walked with the Lord, but you want to, but you're struggling and you know you just can't, now you're saying you're, you're pleading for grace you don't deserve it. You say, Lord, I need your help. Remember me. And it seems to me that all of us are both of those people. <laughs> We're all people who've done some good things and we want the Lord to remember them. And we've also failed and we want the Lord to remember and help us. So both of, the, both of those things are true. And I, I tried it yesterday on my way home. Um, well, actually, I've tried it a few times now, but say, Lord, remember me. And uh, I, I think it's a good prayer to pray. I encourage it. I encourage you to pray the remember me prayer. Put it into practice. Let's try right now. Lord, I ask you to remember us. Lord, we are your people. We're so weak. We're so, so needy of your help. Lord, remember us that we're just made of dust. But at the same time, Lord, we've done things for you. We've been scorned and accused and ridiculed by others. We haven't been recognized Lord, sometimes the work we've done for you feels like it has achieved nothing. And yet, Lord, it was the right thing to do. Lord, I ask you to remember us in our good and remember us in our struggles. In Jesus' name, amen.